on their website, despair.com, they say this. Motivational books, speakers and posters have made billions of dollars selling shortcuts to success and tools for unleashing our unlimited potential. But at Despair, we know that such products only raise our hopes to dash them. That's why our products go straight for the dashing. And so they have posters that say things like this. Dreams are like rainbows. Only idiots chase them. Or this one about problems. No matter how great and destructive your problems are, may seem now, remember, you've probably only seen the tip of them. Very encouraging, I'm sure. Or adversity. That which does not kill me postpones inevitable. Or the final one, despair. It's always darkest before it goes pitch black. Now, I wouldn't advise going on the website and buying any of those things. I don't think they're going to be very encouraging if you have that up in the wall. It's not going to be very inspiring. But I guess many of us know what that kind of feels like. When it feels like everything in our life is going wrong. When our efforts seem pointless and we just feel like giving up. When the giant of despair tries to drag us down. And I think David knew what that would be feeling like. Initially, he had experienced a meteoric rise to fame. From a nobody living in, in obscurity to the commander of the king's army. To a son-in-law to the king. To a friend of the prince. But then everything went wrong. Saul became jealous of him and repeatedly tried to kill him. And in the end, David had to flee for his life with nothing. His position was left behind. His job, his wife, his friends. He became literally an outlaw in his own country. And when David and Jonathan, his best friend, realised this, It says that they wept together, but David wept the most. And in the Psalms that he wrote during this time, David speaks about his fears, about his troubles, about his tears, about his loneliness. It would have been natural if he had just given up all hope, just packed it in. And yet David wasn't defeated by the giant of despair. He overcame. So this morning we're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 21. Samuel's going to come up and and read for us. 1 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 1 to verse 15. David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. 
But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The men's things are holy even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Allah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence, and while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, Look at the man, he is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? Thank you very much. Sandra, when he ran from Saul, David went to to Nob. That was because the temple was there. Oh, sorry, the tabernacle was there. There, David could meet with the Lord. In desperate situations like this, David wanted to seek God's presence. He needed to bring his concerns to the Lord. A little later he wrote this in Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him I tell him my trouble. <clears throat> Excuse me. David poured out his heart to the Lord. But he also wanted God to speak to him. It says in the, the next chapter, verse 22 and verse 10, that the priest Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. David, as he sought the presence of God, wasn't just pouring out his heart to God, he was also seeking guidance from God, understanding, help to cope with that situation. When David faced this incredibly difficult time in his life, he needed God to speak into his life. And that's what James says in James 5 and 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. When we face struggles or disappointments, when we're upset, when we're scared, when we get bad news or or we're unjustly accused, when we feel that we cannot go on, we need to seek the presence of the Lord. We need to pour out our hearts 
to Him. Ask Him for understanding, for the peace to guard our hearts and our minds, for the strength to keep going. And we can do this. Because as Peter said in 1 Peter 5 and 7, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So first of all, David sought God's presence. But he also asked God to provide for his needs. He had run away with nothing. And so firstly he asked the priest for food. Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find, he says in verse 3. But the only bread that the priest had was that consecrated bread. It was, it was bread that was placed on the temple, sorry, on the table inside the tabernacle before the Lord every Sabbath day. And then it was taken away and replaced with fresh bread. So that was the only bread that the priest had. But that bread was supposed to be only eaten by the priests themselves. But Ahimelech gave it to David anyway. Because he realized the moral obligation to save David's life superseded the ceremonial regulations concerning the bread. And did he get it right? Did Ahimelech do the right thing here? Well, we can be absolutely confident he did. Because Jesus agreed with Ahimelech. One day, the Pharisees criticized Jesus' disciples because they were, they were grabbing uh, ears of corn as they were walking through a field and eating them. And they, the Pharisees criticized them because they believed it was against the, the law, the Sabbath day law of reaping. But to defend them, Jesus referred to this incident in David's life And then he silenced their criticism by saying this, If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God's priority is to care for his people. And it's still is today. God has promised to provide for our needs. It's a wonderful verse in Philippians chapter 4, 19. It says, My God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, that's not a promise of prosperity as so many people take it to be that. We know that. Nor is it even a promise that we won't face hardship in our lives. God will not meet our every desire, but He will meet our every need in His own way and in His own time. So one way God did this for Paul, he talks about it just before he he wrote that verse, is that God gave Paul the contentment that he needed to cope when he was hungry or when he was poor. God provided for his needs, not by giving him lots of food or lots of money, but by giving him that contentment in his heart. And so this is a wonderful promise. 
We'll never face a situation where God's resources are not enough for us. We'll never outneed God's provision. As Peter says in 2 Peter 1 and 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We can trust in God's provision. But it seems that David didn't really fully depend on God in this moment. Because in order to get this bread from Elhimelech, David lied about his situation. He lied about being on some kind of secret mission from Saul. Look at verse 2. The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. Now, some people might call that a white lie. But you can search through the scriptures and I don't think you'll find that phrase anywhere. God doesn't call things white lies. And this lie had a serious consequence. One of Saul's servants was there. A guy called Doeg the Edomite. And he went back from there and told Saul about what he'd seen. And although Ahimelech was completely innocent and protested his innocence, explaining that he didn't have any idea what David was doing, Saul ordered Ahimelech's death. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down, all the priests. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. That means they were priests. And then he also wiped out the whole town of Nob. The men, the women and the kids. And all the animals as well. Now of course, Saul was to blame for those deaths. But David also recognised, in a sense, his responsibility for that as well. So I think there's a warning here. Lies are always wrong. Instead, we are called to follow Jesus who, it says in 1 Peter 2 and 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So God's plan for us never requires us to use deceitful means. God is not so weak that he needs us to lie or to put down a colleague or to pass on gossip or to fill in a dishonest tax return, or to falsify our timesheets, or to stretch the truth on our CV in order to get a job. God can provide for us, even if we stick to the truth. Even if we're the only one who sticks to the truth. So David lied to get this bread. But it seems he also depended initially on his own ability to protect himself. Do you see in this chapter he talks about how he he needed a weapon. He had to run out of his door. Remember, climbed out the window and he escaped. And he had none of his, his weapons with him. And so Ahimelech supplied Goliath's sword that had been stored seemingly in the tabernacle. 
as a reminder of God's victory over the Philistines. But there's a little surprising little phrase, a little verse there, in verse 9. It says that David was impressed with this sword. He says, there's none like it. And I guess this sword would have been impressive to match Goliath's impressive size. But when you think of it, this sword hadn't done its previous owner any good, had it? If you remember, this was a sword, it was Goliath's sword that David actually used to cut off Goliath's head. Quite brutally. So why was David tempted to trust in this human resource? Why was he impressed with this bit of metal? Had he forgotten what he had so confidently declared to Goliath when he faced him? It's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And then David made another strange decision. He went to Gath, one of the cities of the Philistines. Now I guess there was some kind of logic to this. The Philistines, were, they were enemies of Saul. And by this time, so was David. What's that little phrase? Uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. But this didn't provide any protection for David. Because people recognized him as one of the leaders of Israel. And they knew the songs that his fans used to sing. Remember this lovely song? And we're never singing church, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Saul is slain his thousands and David is tens of thousands. Now you can imagine that didn't endear him to the people of Gath, who were some of the people who had lost people under the sword of David. So David had to take this drastic action. Verse 13, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of, his gate, of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. When you think of it, this is such a sad contrast to the David we'd seen before, isn't it? Here is David, the anointed king of Israel. The one that God chose to be the leader of his people. The one who courageously defeated Goliath. Acting in such an undignified manner. Pretending to be insane. Desperately trying to save his own skin. Now in a way, in a way it worked. Because David wasn't killed. In that day, those who were classed as insane, they were seen as being having the affliction of the gods. And so they weren't to be touched, they weren't to be attacked. So David was, 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 was preserved in this situation. But he was sent away because, as the king of Gath said, he had enough madmen of his own. Didn't need any more, thank you very much. But for all of David's scheming, that wasn't what saved him. It wasn't his dependence on Goliath's sword. It wasn't his crazy antics. It was the Lord who protected him. This is what he wrote about in the psalm that he wrote about this time. He says in, verse, in Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. 
He delivered me from all my fears. Wasn't Goliath's sword? Wasn't his his ingenuity? It was God who rescued David. Often in our lives, we put far too much faith in our own ability to provide for ourselves or to protect ourselves or even just our ability to live for God each day. But our security, our value, our success in this world is not in our financial resources, in our career, in our intelligence, in our talents, in our strength, in our health, in our family. Our security, our worth is in Christ. Jesus promised in John 10.28 I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. That's our security. That's our certainty. That's our hope. We are held by Christ. And there's no better protection than that. So God protected David. And he made his escape. And ended up in a place called the Cave of Adullam. And there David felt so much alone. He wrote Psalm 142 from there. Verse 4, it says, Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. When life gets messed up, when our plans fail, when our friends let us down, It's so easy for us to go down on that downward spiral of loneliness and despair. We might even cut ourselves off from other people who are around us as we try and harden our hearts just from the hurt that we're suffering. But this wasn't God's plan for David. Yes, David had to learn to ultimately depend on On the Lord and in Him alone. So he says in that Psalm 142, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge. And that is where we find our ultimate place of refuge in our lives. We find our refuge in God and in God alone. But David didn't want, God didn't want David to try to cope on his own. And so, God brought three different groups of people into David's life at this time. Firstly, God provided David with people to love. Have a look at verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 1. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Now, initially, if you remember, some of David's family struggled with with his his rise to fame. Remember how Eliab, the older brother, was so angry when David suggested going and fighting Goliath? 
But now his family came to him because they needed his help. They needed him to protect them. And David actually did this by arranging for his mum and his dad to move to Moab. Maybe because that's where his great-grandmother Ruth was from. And this would have helped David, I think, this whole process of having to look after his family, because it would have helped David take off his focus from himself and his own problems and how everything had just been messed up for him and have to focus on others. <coughs> have to care about other people. And I think often we need that same reminder, don't we? We need that same reminder, not just to think about ourselves, but to follow in Jesus' footsteps and to love others. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In the difficult times, when we feel so discouraged, God often helps us to get out of that cave of despair by again showing us those who are depending on us, who we need to step up and look after, who we are called to love. But it wasn't just David's family that came to him. If you look at chapter 2 again, verse 22, sorry, and verse 2, it says that all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. Now, we don't know why those people were all in all those problems. It's possible that they were in those problems because, again, of Saul's ungodly leadership. But whatever their situation was, all these people who were having a really tough time, they all somehow found their way to David. And David became their leader. This group of 400 downtrodden men was the beginning of David's army. The army that would be called David's mighty men. Now at that time they didn't look very mighty. But David didn't look much like a king either. But these were people that David would, would train to serve God. And these are the people that God would use to train David to know how to lead. Service in God's kingdom is not for those who have their lives all sorted, who have no struggles, or who have everything worked out in their lives. Our difficulties, our problems are not a barrier to us serving God. In fact, God uses those difficulties and He uses those problems and those troubles to develop us, to help us to grow in our faith and to equip us to serve God more effectively in His kingdom. This is what James says in James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now that's, not a, that's not a natural response to trials, is it? 
none of us have a really bad day and, they, and have a big smile on our face and say, that's great. But James goes on to explain why. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, of course, that process is not easy. It's not pain-free. But the Lord has promised that He is always working for our good. Even in the most difficult, the most painful of times. And that He will provide us the strength that we need to get through them. Not to get through them easily. Not to get through them without scars. But to get through them and to grow through them. As Paul said, my grace, or as the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. If we're going through a really tough time just now, let's not think that 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 excludes us or disqualifies us from serving God. He said, let's see it as a way that God is using to help us, to equip us, to help us to grow so that we can serve God more effectively. And then thirdly, God brought people to David, people for David to listen to. People to love, people to lead, people to listen to. At this time, the prophet Gad spoke into his life, verse 5 of of Second Sam, of First Samuel, chapter twenty-two. Go into the land of Judah, he said. And David listened. David obeyed the word of the Lord that came through him. He was humble enough. He was courageous enough to listen to what God was saying through others. He knew he couldn't just do this on his own. Well, we are exactly the same, aren't we? Yes, we need people to love. Yes, we need people to minister to. But every single one of us also need people to minister to us. We need people who will speak God's truth into our lives. So this morning in our daily reading, if you're following our reading program, we read these words, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. There's nobody here this morning who's got to that stage where we don't need somebody to speak into our lives. We all need encouragement. We all need help. We all need correction. We all need teaching. We all need to listen to others. We cannot overcome despair on our own. We need each other. We need the church. But there was one last thing, I think, that kept David from despair. It was that he believed that God had a plan for his life. David asked the king of Moab to protect his family, in verse 3 of chapter 22, until I learn what God will do for me. 
David's life was in a mess at this, this point in time. But he did not believe that this meant that God had rejected him. Or that God had lost control of his life. Or that God had just kind of put him on the scrap and said, okay, sorry, you can't do any more. He firmly believed that God was still in control. And that's why he could trust him. Now David knew part of that plan that God had for him. He knew that God had anointed him to be the king. But there were so many details that David just didn't know. And of course David didn't know the timing of all of that. But he believed that God knew what he was doing. In that psalm that he wrote at that time, he wrote in Psalm 142 verse 3, When my spirit grows faint within me, it's you who know my way. When we are tempted to despair, we need to hold on to this truth. We might not understand what God is doing. We may not be able to see God at work. But God knows our way. He is in control. He has a plan for our lives and his plan is good. And he will complete it. And the reason why we can have such confidence this morning, even though we cannot see what God is doing, even though things might be falling apart all over, all around us, the reason why we can have such confidence is the cross of Jesus. Because at the cross we see the depth of God's love for us and His commitment to us. So Paul says in Romans 8 and 32, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things. Yes, we might go through really tough times in our lives. We might be tempted to despair. But we can overcome, just as David did, when we seek God's presence, when we ask for God's provision, when we depend on God's protection, when we fellowship with God's people and when we believe in God's 